Welcome to Corwin's Leaders Coaching Leaders Podcast with host Peter DeWitt. This podcast is from education leaders for education leaders. Every week, Peter and our guests get together to share ideas, put research into practice, and ensure every student is learning, not by chance, but by design. Hey, Ariel. Happy Monday. Yeah. Hi, Peter. Our last episode of the season of season two from surviving to thriving. Well, this was a this was a really good way to end it. A conversation with Mark White. Um, he offered up so many interesting ideas to me. And, you know, one of the things is that when he was talking about these different ideas, I could see the different researchers that would come with it and the different kind of conversations from maybe like a conceptual understanding, the passion projects and those things. But it's just a really, I don't even know how to say, I hate saying it's an interesting idea because it's a reality that we're all in. And with having different generations within the workforce of schools and what that means from a technological space, what it means from a professional learning space, what it means as uh, for teaching our students and what does it mean for school leadership? And I'm glad we were able to get into all that here. Yeah, definitely. Mark White is, um, for those of you who don't know, the author of Five Gen Leadership. He's also a co-author on the book, Leading Schools in Disruptive Times, which uh, we interviewed his co-author, Dwight Carter, in our first season of the podcast. Um, And so now, you know, today it's a great opportunity to talk to Mark White about this new book, Five Gen Leadership. And Mark is a former teacher, principal, and superintendent who writes and consults in schools across America. And he's constantly searching for what's next in education. And you will definitely hear that in this interview. You can tell he has this fantastic macro view of what has come before and what's coming you know, in the next decade for schools. So I think every school leader is going to really enjoy hearing this. Yeah, so I hope they enjoy the the podcast as much as I enjoyed interviewing Mark. So Mark White, welcome to the Leaders Coaching Leaders podcast. It's so good to have you here. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You, uh, I have to admit, you have some really great ideas for books last, uh, last season. We interviewed one of your co-authors, Dwight Carter, and we talked about, you know, the whole idea of disruptive um, leadership. And now you're here and and we're going to talk a little bit about this whole idea of five gen leadership, which to me is a really interesting idea because, or maybe I should say it's a really interesting reality. uh, (laughs) Because when I, you know, when I was a principal, I had a lot of veteran staff and I was a younger principal. But as I've gotten older, I'm realizing, oh, wait a second, I'm one of the, I'm starting to be one of the older guys and there are much younger people that are, that are working in the school. Why is this such an important topic? I, I think it's important because we've never had such big gaps between our senior leadership at times and our younger teachers and between our older teachers and our younger teachers. And many times our views of the world are shaped by our growth experiences. And these four generations, the boomers, the Gen Xers, uh, the millennials, the Gen Zers, and by the way, we now have Gen Z in our teaching staffs, those teachers under the age of 25 or 26, a lot of leaders don't, under, don't realize yet that they are in our staffs. Um, we, they've all, all these generations have grown up differently. And so that shapes how we view the world, view each other, even view our teaching. 
So we have to know the generations and recognize these gaps and try to bridge these gaps. You know, as a, as a fellow writer, I know that there are just things that trigger, sort of trigger our ideas, right? Trigger that creative process where we're like, I want to explore that more. How did this all come about for you? Um, what was sort of, did you have an aha moment or was it just something that you started to notice and you were thinking, you know what, I need to go a little bit deeper with this? I, I had one of the biggest aha moments of my entire career. Uh, I have been fortunately the last four or five years training thousands of teachers and educators around America. And I was training a group of about 40 elementary teachers. I'd asked them to do this exercise. I broke them up by generations. I had them talk about the technology that changed their lives because it's technology that's making us so different in these generations. Okay? It's driving the change. And so there are a lot of aha moments in there. The, the boomers talked about getting uh, cable television, you know, or uh, getting a color television. And a lot of our younger teachers had no idea that, what, you didn't have color? And then all the way to Gen Z growing up with YouTube and the internet, right? And so at the end of this exercise, I asked these three young Gen Z teachers, all of them 23, 24 years old, in the middle of the entire group. They're the newbies. I said, okay, let me, let me put you on the spot. If you could tell your trainers, the people doing the PD, something to change to help you, what would it be? And one of them spoke up and said, I would tell them, just tell us what to do and leave us alone. Let us go do it. And I thought, oh my gosh, and everybody started laughing. And I, I felt like it sort of stuck a uh, Gen Z knife into my boomer heart there, you know? Um, but but that, that struck me because that's the, that's the figure it out generation. I mean, when they get their phones, when they get these new video games, they don't read directions on how to do it. They just go figure it out. Whereas people like me, a boomer, baby boomer growing up, um, I wanted people to show me what to do step by step. Where are my written directions? And that's the way we still view the world in PD. You know, our boomers and our Xers, the next generation, often want to be shown step by step. The millennials, the Gen Zers, just kind of show us some of it and turn us loose. Let us go figure it out. Does that, when you're, when you're talking about that, does that sort of open up the idea that one generation might be more compliant than the other generation? Like if you're a school leader, <laughs> why is this so important to know? Because when I'm hearing you say that the step-by-step, -step, I'm somewhere in between. I'm, uh, I like to try to figure things out on my own, but I'm also yes. a bit of a rule follower. So I'm sort of like in that middle stage. Is it important for leaders to know this because you might have certain people that are going to be really maybe compliant and I realize we're generalizing here. And then other people that just want to be left alone to figure it out on their own. Like, what does that mean for school leaders? Yeah, I think it's really important for leaders to understand this about the generations. The boomers who were born from 1946 to 64 and the Gen Xers from 1965 to around 1980 are much more compliant, fall into line, follow, follow the leader, follow the authority. The younger teachers, the millennials and Gen Zers question the status quo, it's what they do. They're gonna, they want to be team, team members, they want to get along, but they want to know why they're doing something. Um, they're not gonna, in the evaluations, for example, evaluations as I as I do my evaluations of teachers and my coaching I've noticed that the older teachers tend to say okay how did I do they want to know uh, they want to survive it okay the 
Gen Z and the millennials have to know how they did. They want to hear about it. They want to hear, uh, did I do okay? They, they practically run down the hall to tackle me because they want to be coached. They want to know what's going on. I, I would say that as you approach evaluations, as you approach new initiatives, you have to understand that they are going to question more the younger ones about what you're doing and why you're doing it. They will do it, but they have to see the reason for doing it. I, I remember, uh, so I used to be an adjunct professor here in Albany, New York, and um, I had, when I was an adjunct, I had the students bring in their laptops, their tablets. Tablets were fairly new back then. Mm -hmm. And I remember, um, and of course, because I was an adjunct, I got the worst slot for a course, right? It was like 7.15 to 9.45 past my bedtime. And one <laughs> of the things, I remember walking into class and a couple of the students were there and I heard a, a student say, this class is so different because he wants us to bring our laptop, but the professor before tells us that we shouldn't be able to bring our computers. And I even, for, you know, for the blog I write for Ed Week, I've actually gotten into this and I've seen some really horrific comments from college professors that say, we don't allow our students to bring tablets. We don't allow our students to bring laptops. And this is within the past year and a half, two years. Wow. So I'm not talking about, you know, 10 years ago. Do you think that, um, do you think that this is something that what I worry about is if university professors have that kind of philosophy, how does that impact the younger generation that are coming in to teach? Are they going to, like, are we going to um, uninspire them out of it? Like, are they going to be more likely to want to leave us because we don't get it? You know, it seems like this is a, a pretty big critical issue for us. Well, yeah, well, as a matter of fact, we have fewer people going into education preparation programs than ever. Uh, we have more teachers leaving than ever. And most, of, mo most more people left in 2018, the last data I saw, left the profession than ever. Most of them were millennials. Um, they want to use technology. I, I tell teachers this all the time. Um, if, if you can be a great teacher and never use technology, but you can never be the greatest you can be until you let your students use technology because that's where our kids are coming from. I mean, they're, they're taking something vital away from these kids. Kids perk up when in the K through 12 arena. In, in the universities, the same way. You can't ask them to shut down when they walk in. That's not who they are. And I, I've, I've used it enough. I mean, as a boomer, I use a lot of apps in my training and I see the efficiency of what it can do for training and teaching. And so I think the professors who are doing that they're, they're part of that old, they're on the other side of this digital generation gap, I call it. A lot of our, and I want to say this too, of course, like you said, uh, you know, every generation is going to have outliers. I'm not all boomer. Sometimes I'm Gen Z. One characteristic or one group of characteristics doesn't, doesn't always fit every person in that age group. The teachers who are older, the boomers like me who have adapted to the technology, they're doing much better than their boomer peers who have not. And the COVID crisis, the shutdown really exposed that. I, I talk about the tale of two students. You could have two students in classrooms side by side. And if one teacher is using technology really well, knowing how to work in digital tools, knowing how to work in Mentimeter or using uh, a Jamboard or something like that, and another teacher does not, 
the students in the classroom that are getting the technology are going to be probably outperforming those who are not. They're having a much better experience. When the school shut down, those teachers who were already using technology jumped right into it. The others struggled. We can no longer tell, let, let our teachers get by and say, well, that's for the younger teachers. I do it differently. No one can really tell the professors that, but they are doing their students, in my opinion, a disservice, not if they don't let them use technology. You know, yeah, it reminds me, I read a recent study, Pricewaterhouse and Cooper did a study back in 2019 that showed um, of all the teachers surveyed, 90% of teachers said they could not use technology to offer deeper level learning wow. to students. So um, I was, and I wanted to ask you, has COVID changed that? Because yeah, you know, you mentioned Mentimeter. It's funny, I, when I was running webinars two years ago, uh, Mentimeter contacted me and asked me if I would start using their tool. And um, I remember using it once or twice and I was like, yeah, I don't use that many webinars. And then of course, you know, COVID yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah. And I've used Mentimeter during every webinar that I can. And I just, I wonder, do you, do you think that some of that has changed just because of the pressure of COVID? Or do you think that's where we saw it? Because I think about things like self-efficacy. Is that where people either boosted their confidence or they just completely lost confidence and they were like, I'm done. I think it's changed. I, I've heard from all these teachers who tell me they'll never be the same in terms of going back and using more technology and face-to-face instruction. Um, what I saw interestingly is, you know, when it first shut down in the spring a year ago, there was a lot of paper packets going out and then they rushed to get the Chromebooks and hotspots out to everybody. So then the school year started and people started learning how to put their lessons online. So the people who are really technology strong were able to keep adjusting throughout the year. The teachers who barely got into technology just knowing how to put their lessons online did not do a lot of adjusting during the year. And so the teachers who used technology initially uh, before all this happened kept growing and those who did not just survived and what I saw over and over again, if you don't present your lessons differently online, if you don't change them up from the face to face, it's not going to work very well. That's what I, and I wanted to ask you, I actually, uh, I had written a blog uh, right after the pandemic called Six Reasons Students Aren't Showing Up Online. And it gave me the opportunity to actually survey students. And it was pretty interesting because I had hundreds of students um, from US, Canada, and they were K-12. Uh, K-2 students, you know, notified me their parents had helped them with the survey. But one of the overwhelming things, and this is what I actually bring up to audiences when I'm running a workshop, is that I brought up to the audience that um, the least favorite lessons on the part of students were ones where teachers talk too much oh, yeah. or that the PowerPoint slides were too long and or, um, you know, they had to do packets. And you kind of sit back and you're like, Yes, you can talk and say this happened during COVID, but the reality is we know that that happened well before COVID. The mm -hmm. favorite lessons of students were the ones where the teachers didn't talk so much. Um, so maybe they had teacher clarity, but they only spent 10 or 15 minutes, and then they allowed students to go into collaborative activities. So when you just brought up that point, I think that's one of the, that's one of the challenges, right? Because I think the knee-jerk reaction on the part of people, especially when they're not comfortable, using technology is to say, okay, now I'm going to use technology, but I'm going to do it the same way that I run a classroom and I'm really going to control, I'm going to control yeah. the situation. How do you, how does a leader help 
help teachers find the balance between letting go of some of that control, giving it to students, because what I also wonder, and I realize this is a really long question, but you got me thinking, you know, you're talking about a generation that wants to figure it out on their own, but one of the things we saw during COVID with this much younger generation of students is that when they were on their own, they struggled with figuring it out on their own because they were so right. used to somebody sort of telling them what to do. How do you find a balance with all that as a school leader? That is the art of teaching. That really is. You're right. You know, sometimes some of the older teachers might say, Mark, these kids are still the same. They're still kids. I said, yes, they are kids. They need guidance. They need some supervision. They need you helping them learn. Uh, but they're very different. Their brains are even developing differently because of their interaction with all the technology. So I would say that you have to use the technology at the right time. If you're just using the technology, like you said, to control the learning, that's not going to work as well. These kids are used to exploring on their own. When they play a video game, and by the way, we have Gen Alpha in our elementary schools up to about fifth grade now, a slightly different generation than Gen Z. When we have Gen Z in the secondary levels, when all these kids play video games, they are exploring. They're having to find ways to stay alive in the game. Whenever they are on the internet, they are exploring things that uh, pertain to them, that interest them. So they want to control a lot more of their learning than previous generations. Now, one good thing I'm seeing in a lot of the teacher appraisal instruments around the states, to get to the highest level many times, you have to turn the learning over to the student more frequently. You don't do it all the time. I mean, there's still need for direct instruction. That's what, see the kids were missing sometimes a direct instruction. And here's what we really missed. So many times students learn in a classroom when they turn and talk to somebody next to them. When the teachers are helping somebody over there, they'll turn to somebody and say, what answer did you get and how did you get that? Yeah. We couldn't do that this year. And that's one reason they struggled. We lost a lot of learning because the kids were not interacting with each other. I, I actually, when I was reading the book, one of the things that you taught me, because I feel like, so I'm Gen X and I knew baby boomers, new Gen X, you know, you know, Gen Z, but all these new generations that are happening, which also kind of depressed me and made me feel a little bit older when I was doing but you said one of the chapters in the book is called The Impact of the Silent Generation and Gen Alpha. Why, what, what is that about and, and why did you write about that? Yeah, I thought that I had to pay homage to the silent generation. Uh, we can't leave them out. They formed a lot of the schools we have today, uh, a lot of the good things we have in our schools. You know, uh, they were very strong people. Um, they raised me. They raised the boomers. Um, and I felt like that the concept of the open classroom, the idea of integration, of trying to open the door for more female and minority leaders, that all started going on with them. And that is still, their ideas are still with us because we run our schools as if still, as if they're 20th century schools. I mean, we still run the same calendar. We still have some of the same testing. The standards have been upgraded a little bit, not enough. Uh, so I wanted them on as a bookend and that this chapter comes early in the book, but the alphas, the ones who are, have been born since about 2011, uh, those kids in our elementary schools, the up-agers they're called. And by the way, they got that name alpha from Mark McCrindle, a researcher in New, Ze in New Zealand. And in 2011 is when the iPad came out. And that's